Welcome to By the Glass, a podcast dedicated to boozy beverages and the people who make and drink them. I'm your host, Chris Paldoyan. As some of you know, I moved to France a couple weeks ago. I'm planning to keep the pod going while I'm here, and for the first recorded episode, I decided to reach out to a couple of my closest friends in the Houston hospitality industry to talk about what's been going on in Texas since I left. Mostly, this is an episode about SB8, that controversial abortion bill that passed, as well as the rising number of Delta cases in the city. Drew Gimmett is a longtime friend of the pod. He was actually one of the first guests that we had on the show back in the single-digit episode days. At that time, he was the co-chef of Squabble, a restaurant in the Heights. Now he's the director of operations for Breadman, the city's top wholesale bread bakery. The other person joining the conversation is Valerie Trasati, who spent years working as a pastry chef in Houston and then later Las Vegas. She also worked at Houston Dairy Maids for a while, which is the best place to buy cheese, probably in all of Texas, maybe even the Southwest. Uh, in the past, Valerie and I work together on behalf of an organization called I'll Have What She's Having, which fights for women's reproductive rights and empowers women in the hospitality industry. We're going to jump right into the episode. Here we go. I'm in such a bad mood today. Oh my God. Really? I want you to bring yes. all that negative energy into this uh, podcast. No, Get aggro with everyone. It'll be good. Oh shit. Drew, Drew's here. Drew Safer. Drew's here. Hey there. How's it going? Ready to get cranky. <laughs> Okay. You're ready to get cranky. I'm in a terrible mood. <laughs> I like that when you're in a terrible mood, though, you still sound positive. And you're drinking what tea? No, I'm drinking coffee today. Dang. With like some mushroom, like some mushroom powder in it. Not, Ooh. not magical mushrooms. Some, mu- some mushies. You busting open that third eye over there? What's happening? No, no, I don't want to do that today. That would be bad. Mm, keep that third eye closed. Third eye blind, one might say. Oh my God, I didn't even realize that name until now. Wow. Wow. Okay. Great band. Great band. So let's just <laughs> fucking get started, guys. Are either of you doing anything in particular for Labor Day tomorrow? Um, I'm a private chef, so I work on Mondays and Thursdays at one of my clients' house. So mm. I'll be at their house on Monday. What are you cooking? What's what's on the docket? What's on the menu? Um, so this particular client is, um, she struggles with endometriosis. So I stick to anti-inflammatory meals um, and I prep those out for her. Are you allowed to wear white on Labor Day or is it just after Labor Day that you can't wear white? I really don't think it matters anymore. You can do whatever you want. 2021, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, you can do whatever you want except get an abortion. SB8 went into effect on what, Wednesday? September 1st. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck that law. Fuck Greg Abbott. If you're listening, get out of here. We don't want okay, your viewership. But let's not just blame it on Greg Abbott. Like, yeah, fuck him for sure. But we let this happen. This is our society that's doing this. Like, it's very, it's very, very apparent now, especially how little anyone but straight males are valued in this community and this society of ours. I mean, what's the response been in Houston right now? I mean, it's in my circle, at least it's been a lot of people, a lot of people that identify as straight males standing up and using their voices. And I get it. And I'm super thankful. There's a lot of people raising money to go towards abortion funds, but we all knew this was coming and nothing was done beforehand. 
And so that just solidified to me how little anyone other than those that identify as straight males are valued. Some people were probably holding on hope that it would immediately get struck down by the Supreme Court, you know, on this kind of shadow docket situation. Yeah, sure, of course. But I mean, we all know from history time and again, like you can't be reactionary anymore. You have to be proactive. Mm. You have to preempt these things and not let it even get anywhere near this far. There's a lot of, I think, signal boosting going on, but I don't know what the what the actual action plan is for a lot of these things. There's a uh, march that's going on, I think, in the next mm-hmm. couple October of weeks, 2nd. right? Yeah, October 2nd. I think mm-hmm. it's going to be in every state, and I don't know what that looks like, honestly. But um, And like I said, like it's great. It's great that people are rallying together, but to me, I'm... I'm still very angry right now. Um, I'm going through all these different roller coaster of quote unquote negative emotions about it, like anger, depression, all that kind of stuff, but resentment. Um, but I'm also coming from a place of privilege. Like I am a white female and I can't even imagine what any, a woman or anyone that identifies as a female, anyone with a uterus in those marginalized communities are feeling right now like it's got to be just packed on piled on of like feeling like nobody gives a shit about your rights or you as a human so i know that i'm being uh fairly quiet on this topic and it's it's not because i i y'all you guys know me very well right and you know that i'm i'm totally against this and i I know how ridiculous it is and it upsets me quite a bit as well um and, and, and as a straight white male, you know, part of what I wonder is what what could I be doing mm-hmm. better? What what action steps there are to take to help fight this um, and, and get rid of it and overturn it? Uh, but, you know, yeah, I've been a little bit confused as to where to where to go, how to voice my my opinion and how how against this I am. Well, it's tough also because you're you're running, you know, you're the director of operations for a large bread company. Like, I don't know what sort of kind of platform you're given or you feel like you're allowed to share on behalf of your employer or anything like that. I think, you know, it's funny how many companies, just large organizations that are in Texas are not doing anything about this. Like they're not putting their foot down and saying, we're pulling out of Texas or we're leaving the state for reasons X, Y, and Z. You know, I know some people had talked about that when the voter rights thing went into effect, but I don't know if anyone's doing anything about this right now. Well, that's what makes it so sad though, is that like, that would work and the reason why is because money talks especially for large corporations and that still feels shitty when your humanity is up for purchase essentially yeah so great whatever works man starting out with a a downer right i mean well i mean (laughs) it's I think just like anything, like in nature, there is winter, summer, fall, spring. And we all go through that in different times. Um, right now, I feel like a lot of people are going through sort of a winter. They're going through the Texas freeze again, or hurricane yeah. season. People have a spring, summer, fall, and a hurricane season. Yeah, hurricane season. I don't think it's just Texas. Honestly, I really think it's just very apparent right now in Texas, but there's a lot that we still have to become aware of 
and then begin to change, which is good. Like this stuff is coming up for a reason and it's making people angry. And that's the first step is becoming aware and then saying, okay, how do we change this? How do we make this a more equitable world? But it's easy to feel despondent, right? I mean, yeah, for sure. I had to check out for, a good, I've checked out for a good three days. What were, what was your self-care routine? Like, what were you working on? Um, I mean, I did my nails, which is like something that brings me a lot of joy. For listeners at home, what, what, what color nails are we, are we rocking today? Right now they're very neutral. It's just like a, a beige color, I guess. Mm. I love beige nails. Drew, thoughts on beige nails? Beige nails are good. I'm <laughs> Pro good. beige nails. So you painted your nails. What else did you do? Uh, I've been doing a lot of like, I think just letting myself feel these emotions um, and move through them. I feel not so angry today as I did on like the first and the second. Like I definitely had to sign off of social media because it was super triggering just to see everyone posting about it. Like literally everyone was posting about it and it was just like oh my god you're inundated with just all of these things that are making you feel all of these emotions and so I for sure had to check out I was like okay this is definitely one of the things I did for self-care was to completely shut off social media for a good three days I think that's what's very important like yes what's going on is still going to be going on but you're not like I said, inundated with the information, you still can or have the ability to feel through your emotions in a way that's healthy. And I guess that's why I've gotten to the point where I'm like, this isn't really just about abortion rights. This is much deeper. It's, it's a system. It's the system that we're in. It's, it's worked for the purpose that it was created for, but now people are very awake to it and it's not, it's not going to cut it anymore. Do you feel like you were as aware of these things when you were living out of the country, when you were living in Russia, kind of looking at America from the vantage point of a foreign land, looking in on the U.S.? Um, personally, I was aware of the injustices that were going on in America, but also you have to remember that this is going on all over the world, especially in Russia. Like, the attitude towards women and people of color in Russia is not great yeah. either. Not so great. I think like, not ideal. Not great. It's not ideal for anyone, but it's not um, roses and vodka and rainbows and caviar, I guess. They eat something called um, holodets, which is like meat jello. It's very different. Similar to aspic or different from aspic? Is aspic in like layers of meat jellos? So it's like an Italian rainbow cookie or rainbow bar. Yeah, it's very much um like gelatinous lasagna made of mm. meat. Drew, how does that make you feel? Gelatinous lasagna made of meat? Uh, I'm I'm not okay with that. No, not, that's not <laughs> something I, I I'm interested in. No. No, no, no! Don't eat it. I mean, try it one time. <laughs> Can I go back to something that Valerie said? Because uh, it finally kind of organize my thoughts a little bit. Um, and when you were talking about the system, I think that um, something we're seeing right now and why a bill like this was was passed at this time uh, is that as with social media, with uh, the media in general and how um, 
people have access to different streams of information right now. I think that people get more fervent and steadfast mm-hmm. in their beliefs and they're there's less gray area now, right? Because it's simple to argue in 140 characters than it is to, you know, read an article or put a, you know, listen to the, you know, an unbiased news source. Um, And so you see, I think politicians taking their chance now in regaining their, uh, their fan base, especially the, you know, the more extreme ones. Um, and getting them on their side now, especially especially for conservatives when they have control of the, the Supreme Court, right? They know that they can pass this kind of stuff when it would, you know, never would have, I, I really don't think this would have ever passed 20 years ago. To me, abortion was just never about abortion. It's, it's about, you get these people stuck on, on one little topic like that. And instead of discussing what the effects of it are, right? I think that's one thing we never really talk about is what is the effect of, of banning abortion or effectively banning abortion instead of just talking about, you know, unborn children and, and saving their lives. It just, it all, it, it, it's, everything's being reduced to just this, these black and white issues. And I, I really, there, there needs to be more discussion about something that's serious. I totally agree with you, Drew. Um, I mean, even if you just look at, if we're just talking about Texas, you look at how high the mortality rate is for black women during birth. And that's because of, I mean, the lack of resources and healthcare in communities of color. And this directly affects them more than anyone else, which is, I mean, I don't see how, anyone can say that it's not, this law specifically isn't designed to oppress a certain group. It's essentially keeping a large group of people in poverty. And I mean, it's if it were truly, truly really about preventing um, the murder of a fetus, then we would have more of a discussion about it. You're right, we would have more education in place in our communities about, um, you know, preventing unwanted pregnancies and things like that. Yeah, subtlety and complexity aren't necessarily the calling cards of the Republican Party. And Drew, like Drew is completely right. I think that that's such a great point is that social media has made this such a black and white thing. And for a lot of the stuff that we rely on social media for, like news and things like that, it's just too nuanced to just condense it down into however many characters or an Instagram post or whatever. It's just, it's, Drew's right. There's no discussion about it. And there's, it's basically just like, here's this and here's this and you pick one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's, that's so silly. That's not how people think. And it, it, it just makes things so much more divisive, right? Like I, I can be anti-Trump, but I'm not necessarily pro-Biden either, right? Like, and, but that's how things are divided is because I didn't want Trump to get reelected doesn't mean that I was all for Biden or I'm happy with that decision by the Democratic Party to make him the, the leader for president. That's, 
it's not one or the other, right? I can, I can have those two thoughts separately. And that's just how everything is discussed. And, and I think it, it is good to kind of, social media is great at, at making people aware of, of certain issues. And there can be a lot of, um, you can create a, a much larger voice by doing that. But I also think it's, you know, I, I am on uh, social media a lot less now because it just, I just couldn't read half of the, you know, things that people are posting, people that I, I like as human beings, but just being, you know, terrible, ignorant people um, and not willing to have a discussion. I think those discussions can be very fruitful when you have them one-on-one with someone in a, in a personal setting, but uh, everyone just gets so rude on, on the internet and on social media. Well, you can't really get vulnerable on social media and that's where kind of the breakthroughs happen and beliefs change is when you are able to get really vulnerable and then become compassionate and put yourself in another person's shoes. So we just, and I know it's hard right now because we're still in the middle of a pandemic, but. Lest we not forget, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. (laughs) Has that, has that affected you guys either way? I mean, Drew, in terms of work, with Delta cases spiking or Valerie with your private chefing gigs? Like how, how has COVID kind of affected your day-to-days? Uh, well, for me, it's, it's definitely messed up my day-to-day quite a bit. Um, you know, I think we all started to feel uh, a false sense of hope as cases were going down and people were starting to get vaccinated. It, it seemed like we were starting to make a, a, a good step forward in this pandemic. And then the Delta variant pops up and it starts back up probably even worse, definitely worse than last time, right? And, you know, a big part of that is people are over the pandemic. They felt like we were getting through it. And so people are being less cautious. There's also been, you know, when the, when it first started in March, 2020, like most people were being pretty safe, right? Um, There also wasn't nearly as much to do. Restaurants were closed, movie theaters were closed. There was no big events. And so, and, and that worked. You had no choice but to stay at home, yeah. Exactly. And, and that's not the case anymore. And people have spent a year and a half, uh, once again, dividing themselves over, uh, over silly, silly stuff, which is uh, masks and stuff like that, when it's just, it's so simple. And there's no losing by wearing a mask. And, and you know, they've turned it into this anti-government thing, which once again, I'm not saying I'm super pro-government, but this to me seems like a humanity thing more than a government thing. And uh, I don't understand it. And so when Delta came back and, or, you know, uh, became more prevalent and started spiking cases, it definitely affected uh, my job. Um, we had a few cases. Luckily, most of my staff was vaccinated at the time and, you know, we were able to keep chugging along, but it meant that we, you know, we've been pretty short um, for, for, probably about six to seven weeks now. And a PSA to listeners at home, you can't catch COVID from eating bread from bread, man. The challah will not give you COVID. <laughs> exactly. You, you know, don't make do you make challah? No, I don't think they make challah. But... We, we, make, we make challah. Yes. Oh, okay. You can buy it at Whole Foods. COVID free challah. You, that, that's your differentiating factor there, Drew. Like just on all of your bread, be like, this bread will all not give you COVID. All the bread is COVID free. <laughs> this aura wheat on the other side, I can't speak to that. But this bread man bread, <laughs> COVID free stuff. Um, yeah. And I mean, obviously we, we take precautions and, you know, 
after that happened, you know, after a lot of discussion, we made it, it became obvious to us that in order to protect our employees and protect our, our business um, and to avoid those types of interruptions in the future, uh, we decided to mandate vaccines. As a result of that, you know, what I found was that we, most people, <laughs> when it first happened, I had people that wouldn't even go get tested. They didn't trust the science of testing. And I hadn't dealt with that before. I didn't know how to deal with that. In the past, you know, I'd, I'd worked in a restaurant uh, and we would get tested anytime there was a possible exposure. And there was never a question. No one ever questioned testing. And so when that came up, I, I just, I was a little bit flabbergasted, to be honest. I hadn't heard that, that people didn't even believe in the testing or whatever that that was. Uh, and then obviously when we decided to mandate the vaccines for our employees in order to, you know, help keep them safe and healthy and make sure that they still had jobs, right? I think, I think that's the big thing that people are missing is that, I don't want to put it this way because I don't want to act like a savior, but I'm pretty sure that if I hadn't been there, we wouldn't have been able to make bread for two weeks. Um, You're saying that there were just so many people that weren't coming to work that you physically had to be the one making bread, even though that's not your day-to-day yes, responsibility. And exactly. And I, I, I had a few, I had a few employees that, you know, luckily were vaccinated and were good to go, but it was, it was a really tough couple of weeks. I put in a lot of hours and, you know, like you said, it wasn't just me, but being there to be able to help those people. Uh, I, I wondered what would happen if I wasn't there. And so how did you guys communicate the vaccine mandate for the staff? Was it a in-person conversation that you had with each individual or how did that work? So basically, obviously we, we talked to our HR department and discussed, you know, can we do this? Um, let's put some language together and make sure that we're very clear on what we're, why we're doing this and, and what we're, you know, trying to accomplish for everyone. So we put out a memo basically and, you know, emailed it to everyone uh, and then encouraged people to come talk to us if they had any questions. I think most people were pretty cool about it. Some people were definitely hesitant, but, you know, eventually came around to it. Um, and, you know, we, we had a couple of people that just, it wasn't for them. And, and they decided that they, you know, it wasn't a reason. It was a reason that they didn't want to work for us anymore. Um, obviously, you know, everything we're doing is by the book. Uh, if someone has a religious or medical exemption there, you know, we'll absolutely make accommodations for them. Um, but it's been hard. It's, you know, there's, there's clearly a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of people who are just hesitant because, you know, they're worried about the long-term effects, even though there's been no evidence of that. And so it's, it's been a conversation and obviously I'm, you know, I'm not trying to force anyone to do something they don't want to, but yeah, I want to be able, it goes back to what we're talking about. I, I don't want them to just live by these kind of mantras of it's personal choice or what are the long-term effects or if it's not FDA approved instead of getting down to the nitty-gritty that the vaccines are overwhelmingly safe they have a lot of look they're not perfect but it's when you're weighing risks you take the higher probability of safety there's been some conversations and I think most people have come around to it and you know a lot of people were already vaccinated so I, I think it's a good thing for our business and 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 frankly for just the well-being of, of humanity. I mean, we were talking about how it's so hard to have like a uh, meaningful conversations about ambiguity, you know, on social media, but I'm sure even in a job capacity, right. As the director of ops, you're meant to be this objective individual. I'm sure it's hard to keep your personal thoughts about the well-being of your staff and yourself and the community at large 
separate from the objective relationships you're supposed to have with your employees. Yeah, I, I can't bring my personal opinions into it, right? I have to be incredibly objective. I have to be understanding of what people are feeling and their concerns and only give them the information that I have, right? We have to base this all on the best information we're receiving, which generally comes from the CDC. From Bill Gates um, himself, yeah. <laughs> and so we have to go by, by what they're saying and, and say, like, this is the source that we're following. We feel this is the most trusted source that we can find. And that's what, if anything I'm telling to you, is what the, the CDC is telling us. Um, and I can't really go too far either way uh, as, far as, as far as my own personal opinions go, right? I have to stay down the middle there and only give the facts that I've been given, so... You have a good poker face, though. You you played many a game of poker in your day. Um, exactly, and you know, I feel like I'm I'm pretty good at it. One, you know, I, a lot of it comes down to I, I'm generally just an empathetic person to begin with, and I can understand where someone is coming from, even if I disagree with them. And at the end of the day, they're an employee of mine. I want to see them succeed. I want to see them, you know, uh, be happy working for us. And that doesn't change based on their own personal opinions. Do you feel like any of your like empathy for these sorts of things comes from the time that you spent in kind of the hardcore scene where you were super straight edge and you did question like a lot of like structural elements of society? Do you think that has informed the way in which you engage with people about these more complex topics? Um. To some extent, yes. I think the, the empathy thing, I, I don't know where that came from, but I do know that, you know, a, a lot of, I credit my dad when I was 12 or 13 bought me Slaughterhouse Five uh, by Kurt Vonnegut for Christmas. And it was the first time, I don't know if his kind of philosophy and words taught me something or if they were just the first time I had seen that like written down. And it was like the first person who really spoke to me in terms of how absurd the world can be and humanity can be right um you know this is a, so it goes right exactly you know you have this anti-war book that <laughs> you know just exposing how absurd all of life is and how tragic it is and that at times there's really nothing you can do but just sort of say yeah so it goes and, and laugh at it a little bit you know but absolutely I, I think that i was growing up in like late high school early 20s i was a big part of that you know, a counterculture movement. And I've talked about this before, where a lot of the things that I've almost been upset at conservatives, <laughs> because they've taken this like anti-government, anti, you know, uh, corporation thing. That was something that I was really, you know, I, I stood for. And I, you know, have always been kind of questioned, I guess, not really always against, but just questioned it. And I, I've mar remarked to people, I was like, I like, that's what I used to say. And now it's, the right-wing people that are that are saying this and there's something confusing about that but uh, i think there's like a mark the gop stole the message of bands like pavement and <laughs> yeah yeah no but there's there's a mark that's missed there where i never thought the government was out to get me personally right i have a lot of questions about how they spend their money and doing stuff like not you know even hearing uh, hearing an argument against the, the SBA bill and stuff like that, right? But I, I don't think the government's trying to spy on me. They don't care about me in that way. And they're not, I also don't think the government is physically trying to harm me. Like that's where I, you know, I don't think a worldwide pandemic is some government plot to inject me with a microchip or to depopulate the earth. Like to me, that's like crazy. It's, if any, like what drives this world is greed and money. Uh, and if there's any way that they can make more of it, they're going to do that.
right? <laughs> and killing a lot of people is not the way to do that. So uh, that's never. You heard it here first, guys. <laughs> you heard it here first. So yeah, that's that's a it's a different thing to see that kind of like anti-government thing pop up in a, in a way that you know for me was just rebellious teenager believing in thought I believed in anarchy, um, and you know just wanted to big give a big middle finger to everyone uh, has turned into this like. Uh, this thing that's been twisted into, you know, personal freedoms, which are obviously worth fighting for. But I think that people confuse freedom with just meaning they can do absolutely anything they want with no regard for anyone else. Personal freedom and selfishness are not the same thing. Exactly. This has been a, this has been probably one of the heavier episodes of BTG in a long time. This is good. We're getting into. Okay. Can yeah. we tighten it up? What what are we gonna lighten it up with? What are your what are your thoughts? Well, I am gonna like go back to something that Drew said about laughing things off. Um, maybe like two days ago, I was like, okay, how do I pull myself out of all this anger? And I was just thinking, what if we just start thinking about our life as truly just a comedy movie? And then I started listening to this playlist called My Life is a Comedy, and it's just got like career enthusiasm theme song um arrested development theme song always sunny in philadelphia theme song and it's it worked i listened to it in the car and i was so happy i was like wow this is great so ostensibly by the glass is a program about food and beverage and i realize we haven't done a whole lot of talking about either of those things um have you guys eaten anything particularly fun lately i know we talked about how cases are spiking because restaurants are open but have either of you had any really good meals in houston lately Street to Kitchen, always fantastic. So Shout out Chef Benchuan. Yeah, Chef G is the best. Um, her and her husband are really killing it in that location too. It's like, I think it's the perfect spot for them. And it feels so good to be in there too. There, There's so much of both of their personalities go into that space and in that food that it's just, it's so refreshing and it's so enjoyable. It's really great yeah. Thai food that's Chef in G's East downtown, right? Thailand. Yeah, it's, it's like right off, um, I don't know what stop, but I think it's right off the light rail. Yeah. And it's just kind of a innocuous location. Um, it's in a strip center by essentially like a food mart. It feels very Houston to me. That's why I like it. Drew, have you been to street to kitchen? I have not actually. Uh, and I haven't really been out to eat very much partially because I've been so busy. Uh, and partially because, yeah, I've gone back in the kind of hibernation and haven't felt super comfortable uh, going out. And, you know, I am vaccinated, obviously, but it goes back to one of those things where I just don't want to take a chance. I'd rather mm-hmm. let things settle back down again. So so I unfortunately have not really been out to eat in probably three or four weeks at the, at the very least. The good thing about Street to Kitchen is they have a drive-thru too. So you can mm. also pick your order and then just pick it up through the drive-thru. It's so awesome. That's Sounds good like a good move. Sounds so like they really got it going on. But just like everyone in the industry right now, they're struggling, I think, to find staff. Which yeah. Is- did you guys uh, listen to that New York Times Daily episode about uh, staffing in restaurants? No, no, I would love to listen to it though. Did it you was- send that to me? I think I I think I sent it to you or I posted it in my stories or something like that. You know, it's something we all are very aware of because we work in this industry, but it was cool to have an outside body like the New York Times talk to a lot of different people, restaurant managers, servers, bartenders, like literally everyone from every side of it and present their opinions in an objective way, 
where they mm-hmm. just let the person talk and create kind of like an oral history of this labor shortage mm-hmm. and have line cooks talk and say, look, I ostensibly was working for one of the best restaurants in the country, but I was pulling 14 hour shifts and making just above minimum wage. And I was developing debilitating injuries. I had the body of a 70 year old man, but I was 27 years old. I thought it did such an amazing job. I shared it with like a bunch of my like friends and family that don't work in hospitality and say like, these are their stories. Yeah. And it's super apparent, like not to bring it, I'll make it a little personal and not to bring it about like about me, but I mean, like you said, it's important to hear all these different stories and like during like deep in the pandemic, when I was in Vegas, I developed an autoimmune disease while working in a restaurant because it was just such a stressful time to be in direct contact with all of these guests and also have to run a restaurant and not getting supplies from vendors that you're typically able to easily get. It was just like, we all know in this chat that we're having how stressful a restaurant can be in like just a typical climate. But during the pandemic, it was just extremely exacerbated. And like my hair was just falling out, like huge chunks of it. Um, And as soon as I left the restaurant industry, like day-to-day operations, as soon as I left and like got treatment, my autoimmune disease went away. Or I guess maybe it's more dormant than- The luscious locks made their triumphant return. They did, they're back. But I mean, it's just so (laughs) crazy because everyone's like, I can't believe it was like really the stress of being in a restaurant during a pandemic. And I was like, I mean, that's honest to God what it was. Listeners at home that aren't familiar with kind of your trajectory, you were the pastry chef for a hotel here in Houston, the Mm -hmm. C. Baldwin Hotel. COVID happens, you move to Vegas for a pastry chef opportunity, you help Mm -hmm. open a cafe there. Uh, That I have the story right, right? Yeah. And shortly after, yes, shortly after they also let go of their CDC. And so I was also acting as CDC pastry chef and sometimes front of house staff. There was a part, there was a, a little period where I was like interim GM. It was a lot of work, which is not new to anyone in a restaurant. You're always wearing more than five hats at any given time. So, and they're bucket hats, they're big old bucket hats that just keep getting filled with more and more shit, just getting piled on. Drew, do you ever miss working in a restaurant now that you're out of it? I know you had some stress there for a bit, uh, yeah, on the production side, but what do you miss about it, if anything? I, you know, there is that it's, it's what a lot of people kind of find fun about restaurants is as hard as they are they're really um you do get this adrenaline rush from like a a friday night service where um you never know what you know it's going to be hard but you never really know exactly what it's going to be like um and the camaraderie that you kind of build with everyone that you're working around that's going through the same thing right um i'm not saying i'm not gonna say I, i miss it a ton but like you know there's some times where you know um I wouldn't mind working a night or two, you know, but a big part of the reason I, I wanted to get out of that and get out of the day-to-day, you know, production of, of anything related to food was 
I started to look at, you know, I'm not old by any means, but I'm getting to a point now where I want to start planning out kind of the rest of my life. And I just couldn't see myself doing that in 10 years. Uh, and I didn't really see uh, an exact exit plan. You know, the, the room for growth in a restaurant is usually pretty limited unless you're talking about a corporate restaurant or, you know, multi, multi-unit restaurant. And so I wanted to get away from that and I wanted to work a normal schedule and have weekends again. And I shouldn't even say again, because I never had weekends, right? I've always been, been doing this. So, and I also, I, same thing, I started to feel my body kind of, it just couldn't stand up to the physical, you know, uh, rigors that you have to go through day to day in a restaurant. Uh, which is something that I found out again when, you know, we had a bunch of people out with COVID was that uh, after a couple of days, I started to get really bad tendonitis in both of my arms. And it's hard to, I didn't realize how much that could hurt. (laughs) Um, And so I was really struggling every single day just to basically push through the pain to, to get this bread done. And it made him even more clear that like, you know, I made the right choice in trying to escape that um, even if it's been, kind of hard to fully step away from that so yeah it's definitely fun to work service for sure but I think it's all of the other stuff that comes along with it and we saw this as soon as the pandemic hit and throughout the pandemic and we're still seeing it that this business model currently is not sustainable we've pushed through and made it work and ignored a lot of the signs ignored our bodies, but it's just, it's not sustainable. And I think on the other side of the pandemic, I really do think that there's going to be a new model. I don't know what it looks like. I wish I had the answer. And the weird thing is like these stories that me and Drew have about like our bodies essentially falling apart is not unique to us. It's absolutely everyone. Trying to think, I developed some really like painful like skin rashes um, and had like really debilitating anxiety at various points um, where, you know, my Apple watch would tell me like your heart rate is like 190 and then my normal resting heart rate is like 55 maybe. So definitely not normal that I would just suddenly break into these like mini panic attacks. Not, mm-hmm. not fun, not ideal. No. no. But then I would just put on the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme song and we'd be good to go. Perfect. Like, oh, yes, right. We're all living in a simulation. Take five deep breaths. My watch used to tell me that too. Like I would always find myself in the elevator at the hotel, like going down to the pastry dungeon. And it would be like, you need to breathe. And I'd be like, oh. Okay, Is that a term, now. the pastry dungeon? Yeah. So previously at the Double Tree, there was this um, essentially like pastry room that had its own walk in and, um, freezer and uh, dry storage and everything like that but it just wasn't kept up with especially like I think it was like 10 or 15 years that that room wasn't used at all so the ovens were like rusted out Um, and so before I started they were like look at this room we're gonna redo it for you and you're gonna have your own pastry kingdom and then like it became such a like sign of contingency for me because I would go downstairs and of course I would store product down there in the walk-in and in the freezer, but most of the equipment didn't work. So they yeah. kind of sold me that dream. Classic, classic it, move. I, I forget about it. people on the dream and then pulling the rug out. Classic move. I'm super thankful that experience the more I'm out 
of it and like the more time that I really get to think through it that period of my life brought so much stuff up inside of me personally that I needed to heal and fix so like I'm very thankful for that experience for sure it was tough but I mean I'm such a better person for it now and like it's made me it kind of was one of the catalysts I guess or a part of the catalyst to wanting to step away from the industry just enough to where I can be more thoughtful about how to make this a sustainable industry for all of us that are in it. What time is it in France? It is 8.30. Are you drinking alcohol? No, I'm not. Because I have class early in the morning and I still have some financial accounting work I have to get done. Oh, shoot, dude. Do you realize... Oof, it is it is painful. It is painful learning some of this stuff. No one said there'd be this much calculus either for the microeconomic class. Like they were like, oh, you just need to take the derivative of this logarithmic equation. I was like, what the fuck did you just say? I have to look up every single one of those words. Bro, this ain't a marketing class. This is this is this a microeconomics class. I mixed up my M's. Dang. It's it's definitely a humbling experience uh, to be reminded of some of these more mathematical terms that I haven't thought about at all in a very, very long time. But things like corporate finance and accounting principles, like those are really, I think, valuable things that will serve me well, regardless of what I do. But it's fascinating because everyone in the classroom is bringing a totally different perspective. The majority of students worked in consulting before. And so they have like a very clear understanding of like how you analyze a business and an industry and a function within a business. Mm -hmm. Um, But then you have other people like that maybe were iBankers or you have people like me uh, that have none of those experiences per se, but still understand the value of differentiating a business in a competitive environment. So I think part of what I enjoy about it is the just total range of different experiences that people bring to the program. I mean, there, there are 70 nationalities represented wow. in our class of 500. So Jeez. what we all love about the hospitality industry, other than the energy that you get is you get the chance to meet really cool and exciting people with totally different backgrounds, right? At least the restaurants that I've worked in, whether it's the front of house or the back of house, you had people with really interesting stories. I think when you're in a passion-based industry, you have that. People are attracted to it from a variety of different fields. And I'm kind of getting the chance to see that same sort of thing in this environment. People with different backgrounds that are brought together by one common interest, which is going to graduate school, so. Oh, I'm gonna say. Making the world a better place. I don't know. Or this isn't specific to hospitality, correct? No, I was thinking INSEAD is, uh, I don't think that they have, I think more than anything, it's a, it's a school for consulting. I think uh, the vast majority of their graduates go on to, I learned this term MBB consulting, which is McKinsey, Bain and, uh, BCG, which are the three like big consulting firms. And they just call it a category in and of itself, separate from consulting. It's MBB consulting. Hmm. I like had to raise my hand and I was like, Hey, this is a dumb question, but I don't know what this acronym stands for. And they're like, Oh, it's these three (laughs) firms that are blue chip consulting companies. Today officially is the two week mark that I've been here in France. Yeah. So are you eating any good food? I had a really good meal last night in Paris uh, on the eve of my half marathon. Uh, what did we have? We had a bavette steak, which was mm-hmm. really tasty. And it was uh, 
dressed in like some squid ink, which gave it this really cool kind of umami character. What else did we have at that restaurant? Uh, some veal tartare, which was really tasty. The dessert was a take on baba rum, you mm-hmm. know, the classic French dessert, but it mm-hmm. was baba mezcal. Whoa. And that shit was wow. hot fire. It was good. I know. I don't know about that. I was a fan. Yeah. Um, I would try it, but you know how I feel about mezcal. I feel very good about mezcal on this side, but I think I'm the one out of the three. I never met one that I like. Hit up Sean Beck. He just opened that new place, Urbe, and I'm, I'm sure he can well, find a mezcal you'd enjoy. I just like don't really feel like seeking it out. Honestly. I'm trying to think if I've had anything else really good. The school cafeteria has a cheese section, <gasps> which is kind of fun. It's a very classically. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that is so special. It wouldn't be a school in France if it didn't have a cafeteria section dedicated to cheese. Man, so that's lit. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Valerie, Drew, thanks for hanging out, getting into some deep conversations. Thank you. It was a, it's a good time as always. Thanks for having us. Bye. Bye. That is our episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can stream every episode of By the Glass wherever you stream your audio content. And we will see you with another episode next week. Bonsoir.